Nightmerica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmerica. And please tell your friends about us. Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because, to paraphrase Ray Parker Jr., whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhoods. Episode 9. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the weird. But first, a word from our colleagues. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Think things are bad now? Well, it could be worse. Don't believe me? Just read Dead Run, the new sci-fi thriller from author Mike Maddox. A mysterious force is taking control of people's bodies and making them run to stay alive. And if you can't keep running... Now, this is the ad copy, so I'm reading the ad copy because it says, if you can't keep running, you blow up like spaghetti left in the microwave too long. It's not a good scene. Mm-hmm. It's a very messy situation. And it's got to have marinara sauce because then it kind of looks like blood. Right. And this, the pasta itself would be sort of Ew. look like viscera. Ew. And except in a microwave, but at least in a microwave, you're contained. The, the explosion is contained. Yep. It's a messy microwave to clean up. But if you're running down the road and you can't keep can't Black. run anymore just splat you're just and then you're all over your friends and the other apocalyptic pals you do not splat on me and in an apocalypse you don't have easy access to soap water Mm -hmm. i don't even know if you can stop running long enough to like shampoo and and bathe after your friend your your pal is just blown up on you anyhow (laughs) i mean this is really i think selling the book anyhow the story follows a group of weary travelers as they make their way through a hellish landscape where there's only one rule run or die this is dead run 
and other than being chilling and scary, it will also perhaps inspire you to eat the right kind of carbs <laughs> and jog every day just in case this apocalypse hits. So check it out. It's available exclusively on Amazon Kindle. It's only like three bucks. It's well worth your three bucks. And read Dead Run by Mike Maddox on Amazon Kindle. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Nightmareka. I'm Aaron Sagers. Uh, and, uh, you might know me from paranormal pop culture, paranormal caught on camera, paranormal paparazzi, all the paranormal p p p p p words. Uh, and as always joined by my colleague, uh, Britt. Hey, Britt. Hello. Hey, crew. Aaron, how's your quarantine going? Well, it continues. It continues for uh, not now uh, another week, um, but hopefully mm -hmm. people will look back upon these episodes and reflect about oh that crazy time when we were all in lockdown and quarantined, and this will be just a kind of a nostalgic little episode yes. for people. Um, nice to think we can all look back nostalgically on this. Yes, insanity. Yes. So we talked a little bit about weaving in some weird news stories uh, from the week, and uh, I was curious about what what you discovered. What what kind of crazy happenings did you did you find in your journeys for this episode? Yeah, so I actually found a news article this week that ties back to one of our previous stories. You guys probably remember when we did our story on theme parks and I touched on the Treasure Island at Disney. Um, it's that abandoned property that had been an island uh, park back in the day with birds and tortoises, truly like a gorgeous tropical island, um, but it was shut down if I remember correctly, in the 90s. And now moving forward, it is completely abandoned. And at the end of April, April 30th, a 42-year-old man from Alabama was actually arrested for trespassing and camping on this property. He had only been there for about two days, uh, but was planning on staying longer. But the Orange County police found him um, and he kind of was like, hey, you know, social distancing, this is my tropical paradise. Um, and they, but they took him off the island. So uh, when, as we talked about in the episode before, the buildings there now have these crazy like pickle jars filled with reptiles and other animals. So this dude is pretty nuts, I think, for staying there. I would not want to be there in the dark by myself, but hey, you know. He's doing his own thing, I guess. I mean, I can see the appeal of having your own little private space. And, um, you know, there's shelter. You're left alone. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's like you're sort of king of the jungle a little bit. Uh, so yeah. I, I could see the appeal of that kind of thing. And, and people, I think during times of like weird times like this, they're there is this temptation to go off the grid and mm -hmm. just remove yourself from society. So Totally. I get it. I mean, I love my family. I am so lucky that I get to be with them here in Arizona. 
Uh, but I'm sure any of our other listeners who are also quarantined with their family, we really miss being alone sometimes. So <laughs> I can get where his head is at. Well, I went in a different direction for the weird news because it's not, you know, this isn't really, uh, this is not a story that has gone mainstream, but I, I really feel like the individual at the heart of this story does deserve a spotlight. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do I'm going to help that I'm going to like pick up this story and put a spotlight on on this individual. Uh, His name is Matthew Leeds from New Jersey, specifically the New Jersey Pine Barrens. And other people might know him as sort of his uh, his his more famous moniker, the Jersey Devil. So the Jersey Devil is spearheading a pandemic delivery plan so as it happens uh, you know he was uh, in in the act of uh, rehabilitating himself and he also has a bit of a, a bad reputation but he was actually conducting tours of the mysterious pine barrens in new jersey where he is from the the from this winged creature where he's from um and you know he's been around that area for a long time 13th son of the leeds family born in 1736 uh, he did grow to have talons and horns and, uh, you know, was winged, supposedly known for his stench, which seems a little unkind to say <laughs> about him, but he also had a, a tail. So he said he lo- used to love scaring people, but now he's trying to be more civic minded. And as it happens, he noticed that his business was dying off. He uh, picked up some newspapers, actually had a newspaper boy deliver some newspapers to him, started reading the news about all this pandemic stuff, and he said he got infuriated. In fact, the more he read the newspapers, the more infuriated he became, and, and he said, quote, it really pissed me off. Uh, he actually went into town to see how bad things, and they were bad. Elderly people and the infirm couldn't make it to grocery stores, and even if they did, they had to wait in lines. And he saw, said that was not right. Hey, I have wings. I might as well put them to work. So the Jersey Devil started making food runs. He was landing in parking lots of various supermarkets. He was handing in orders, and he was carrying them away in his massive talons, of course, and was delivering them to people and yes some of the people that received some of the drop-offs did say it was difficult dealing with his horrible stench uh but (laughs) but you know what they were very appreciative of of him giving back to the community and uh you know the jersey devil even said he said uh you know mr leeds jersey devil said quote if you can't depend on your government you can always count on mythic creatures so I think that this is a a heartwarming story, and and even just the fact that he went so far as beyond food, he started delivering masks and gloves and um, and PPE uh, and hand sanitizer to hospitals, to local hospitals. So he was even doing that. Um, so I think that this should be not only an inspiring message for all of us, it should also be a rallying cry for our other cryptids and mythical creatures out there. I'm really hoping the various Sasquatches around our nation, around the world even, get in on the action. So uh, Jersey Devil, uh, you know, from us here at Nightmerica to you and the Pine Barrens, thank you for your service, for your civic-minded 
uh, service. And also thank you to Brick Rivers who reported on this story. Uh, Brick is a uh, is a reporter over at the Weekly World News. So uh, thanks to those guys, the world's only reliable news. So uh, with that in mind, with uh, you know this this uh, paranormal tale about cryptid, I would accept a, a delivery from any winged creature, really, if they were bringing me food and hand sanitizer. How about you? Totally. And who are we to judge his smell? I mean, during quarantine, has anybody showered every single day? Right. You know what I mean? We're not looking great. So there you go. Yeah. So don't cast the first stone at the uh, at the Jersey Devil. So as I mentioned earlier, the title is Take Me Out to the Ball Game, Take Me Out to the Weird. We are talking about sporting arenas and, and hubs of, of odd activity. Was there a arena that you found uh, had a special fondness for growing up, sporting venue, arena, anything like that? No, absolutely not. I grew up in an RC family. Our season tickets were to the theater. Um, but my dad likes sports, so he actually was able to help me a lot for the story today. Um, the closest kind of warm spot I guess you could say is that I lived uh, near Wrigley Field during college. Um, not super warm though, because being right next to a uh, baseball stadium, drunk dudes would pee on your porch, and when I'd be lugging all my art supplies to class, they would be packing um, the red line there. So my Chicago, our Chicago people know that Wrigleyville is such a a hot mess express but i guess that would be the closest i have to fondness for sports but you are a big baseball fan you love your sports well i'm a i am a fan of baseball i wouldn't say that i i i can't talk uh baseball with uh a real insider's knowledge but i do love it and for me baseball stadiums are sort of these um they're they're romantic places for me i like romantic locations like newsrooms i've worked in newsrooms and baseball stadiums especially the old places i've been to many of the uh, stadiums across the country but i love wrigley field i actually am am envious of of you having uh, lived so (laughs) close to it and and when i moved to new york city i didn't really grow up with a lot of uh hallowed ground uh baseball uh stadiums or uh diamonds so Moving to New York, going to the Yankee Stadium, going to uh, the old uh, Shea Stadium, and then City Field. Yeah, just really, really romantic places for me. And it makes sense. You know, within within paranormal, within the paranormal field, there are a lot of stories associated with sports and specifically with stadiums. These are, they are hallowed grounds. They are locations of almost near-religious devotion and... Not only are people bringing their energy and they're rooting for one team and rooting against another team. There's superstition. There's curses. There was the, uh, like the the, the the Billy Goats curse right there in in Wrigley. And there was, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you heard the tale of like the construction worker that when the new Yankee Stadium was being built, he hid a Boston Red Sox jersey in the concrete to curse the Yankees. It's it's intense. They actually had to jackhammer it out and pull that out. Hmm. Um, 
So pretty pretty crazy stuff. So yeah, uh, we found ourselves talking about um, the weird tales surrounding sporting locations. So what what's your uh, what's your weird uh, weirdness for the week? Yeah, my weirdness for the week is actually a kind of super tragic story. Um, I am doing the Heisel Stadium disaster. So on May 29th, 1985, I just realized we're actually kind of getting close to the anniversary of the event. Um, It was the European Soccer Cup Championship game between Liverpool from England and Juventus from Turin in Italy. And they were playing in the Heisel Stadium in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, So this was kind of setting up to be a tense game. Liverpool had won this exact cup the previous year, taking down Rome. Uh, There you go, another Italian team. And Juventus had been undefeated the previous year in the Winner's Cup. Um, Truth be told, I don't really know the difference between these two cups, but it's safe to say that these are incredibly good, incredibly talented teams and what comes with incredibly talented teams is incredibly passionate fans. Uh, So hooliganism, hooligans are a term for super rowdy, sometimes violent fans. Um, They are uber passionate at games and growing up in Europe, my family and I can even speak to local businesses boarding up their shop windows. Um, Not because they were, you know, purposely going into loot and steal and create chaos, but they were just drunk and wild. And, you know, when I get drunk, I get funny. When these people get drunk, they get violent. So to protect fans from themselves, tickets and stadiums were sold based on the team that you were rooting for. Um, So for example, think of like an American football field. There's the goalposts and then the two straight sides. So if you were a Liverpool fan, you would sit behind a Liverpool goalpost. If you were a Juventus fan, you would sit behind um, the Juventus goalpost. Uh, so during that kind of straight section, uh, they would sometimes fill it with barbed wire, uh, chain link fences, just kind of anything to protect the fans from themselves, which is crazy that they had to do that. And like any American stadium, it was uh, stadium seating at an angle there. It was all concrete and there would be these overhangs where you would go down into the lobby to get your concessions and things like that. So all very similar. You can just kind of picture any football field. Uh, So to make this kind of hot game even hotter, they were playing in this neutral territory of Brussels. Uh, in Heisel Stadium, which was 55 years old uh, and in horrible shape. It was made of cement and cinder blocks, but it was completely falling apart. Uh, There were rocks everywhere and the walls would be crumbling outside when fans were trying to get in for this game because tickets had been oversold. They were literally just crawling at the walls, trying to break it down to get inside, build holes against the walls, which is insane. Um, Liverpool actually fought against having the match here, which I found really interesting doing my research. Um, the Union of European Football Associates, or UEFA as they call it, they did a 30-minute inspection, though, and they were like, oh, no, this is cool, um, which is 
crazy looking back on it that they gave it their stamp of approval, but we're getting to that soon. Um, so as I said, Juventus sits on one side, Liverpool sits on the other, but they actually reserved a section of the Liverpool seats for neutral, and I use air quotes, neutral Belgian fans. But what they did not realize is that Brussels has a huge Italian population at the time. So these Belgian fans were not, in fact, neutral. They were Juventus fans. Uh, so the kickoff is at 7 p.m. And the chaos hits the fan even before it begins. Um, so these Liverpool hooligans start noticing there are Juventus jerseys in their section and they start picking up rocks, picking up crumbled cinder block and cement and start throwing it at the neutral Belgian fans that were sitting in their section. Um, police were on site, but it kind of happened also quickly. They couldn't immediately get the rowdiness down and just started calling for backup. In midst all of this chaos, the Liverpool fans then start charging into the section that they had previously been throwing rocks at. And to get a picture, there were 60,000 tickets sold for the game in total. Um, so 30,000 people sitting in this one seat. 20,000 people are now charging 10,000 Belgians. And they're terrified. I mean, they are trying to escape. They are pushing against each other, pushing people out of the way. If you tripped, if you fell, uh, twisted an ankle, you would end up getting trampled. Um, it's If you know the Who concert that happened in Ohio where people were literally squished to death by being pushed against these doors, it was exactly the same thing. People had the air literally trampled out of their lungs. And you can even see photos, and I'll post some to our Instagram, of people just trying to jump over the walls down to the concession area just to save their lives. They would be flinging themselves over the overhang onto concrete stairs below. Well, as the pressure is building of these fans pushing into these walls to get out, the wall starts crumbling and it completely collapses, throwing these people onto the concrete floors below, throwing concrete onto fans that were trying to run out. It's horrible, it's chaos. And to think about the fact that over on the other side of the stadium are Italian fans having no idea what's happening. So they start to get all rowdy and they're trying to figure out what's going on running across to help, but the police thankfully on that side were able to kind of step in and get them under control. Uh, overall, 39 people died and 600 people were injured. Uh, but in my research, it kind of seems that it wasn't actually the wall collapsing that caused all of the injuries. It was more so people just being trampled to death, which I have to imagine is even more horrible. Um, the craziest part of the story, though, to me, is that the game was still played. Um, all the powers that be kind of figured that canceling the game would cause more trouble, which I guess is true. You let them out into the streets and, you know, then it's just left to have riots and chaos. So they kept them in the stadium and made the teams play, even though they totally did not want to. Juventus ended up winning 1-0, but the players were so over it, they did not want to play. They wanted to make sure their fans were okay. Um but the game ended, things moved on, and an 18-month-long investigation took place. Of course, the Liverpool fans were to be found at fault. 
1987, 26 of the Liverpool fans from the game were extradited back to Belgium to stand trial. Um, and 14 of those people were actually convicted for manslaughter. They were given only three years, but Belgian prosecutors actually appealed and their sentences were extended to five years. Um, kind of stepping things up even further, the UEFA went on to ban all English club teams from any European game for five years, which is crazy. I mean, here in America, when we think of soccer, when we think of football, we think of English club teams. Um, so to prevent them from playing really shows the magnitude of how serious they were taking this. Uh, they also put in laws and bans for fans. They were no longer allowed to chant or do anything that would kind of promote racism. Um, they also were kicked out of games if they did this. And if you were kicked out of a game, you were banned from ever attending a game at an English stadium again. So I kind of referenced at the start of the story that my dad helped me with this. Um, and on a personal note, he was able to do this because four years before I was born, when this story took place, uh, my parents were living in Brussels with my big sister um, and my dad was supposed to go to this game. And instead, a work colleague was in from out of town and he had to take him for dinner. So had he gone, he would have been considered one of the neutral Belgians and he would have been put in this spot where he would have had to run for his life and... I might have never been born. This podcast might have never even happened. So I am very thankful for this colleague that he had to go out to dinner with. Um, and that is my story of the Heisel Stadium disaster. Yeah, certainly notable for how many deaths that uh, mm -hmm. took place there. The you know the the topic of of hooliganism within sports within football in particular is yeah, it's like something that I've like I've heard stories of it that goes back you know hundreds of years but really i think the modern era began in sort of the 60s and then 70s of um it's unfortunately hasn't been that rare of a of a, a problem especially with some of the football firms that uh that you mentioned so yeah it's uh, well liverpool we'll just say liverpool um it's, uh, <laughs> they run into some trouble uh throughout the years but you know we've had our share of uh of riots and and um mm -hmm. you know i guess hooliganism in the uh right here at home but um it does seem to be uh uh a, a ground zero for it over there uh and i know a lot of a lot of policies have been put in place to try to curb that so yeah people get crazy People be crazy over crazy. their sports teams. Sports, man. Sports. Especially like in some of the, you know, some of the teams are also associated with not just the team itself, but, uh, you know, like religious affiliations as well. And, um, you know, also religion makes people crazy. Nightmerica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor, Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kits, we have a really big fan of Manscaped, but not a man, a Sasquatch. From the Florida Everglades, let's welcome Skunk Ape to the show. Thanks for joining, Mr. Ape. Oh, Skunk is fine, just fine. That's, uh, that's what my friends call me. 
Even though you're an elusive cryptid, you're able to have a social life? Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, wendigo, mow, galon, we all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially uh, since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the Lady Squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, Squatchy regions. Don't you know it? That Lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop whoop! That's what that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs. But not with this lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right, sizable. Sasquasticles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries, I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock. I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squashticles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches or, or men, no no judgment, they take notice. But I can still stay hidden, because with that quiet stroke technology, it does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the squash code. You gotta stay undercover, you know. I can even groom up my squashticles in the middle of the night, because it's got an LED light on it, so you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. It's a memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped Ball Deodorant to, to make the squashicles smell fresh as a daisy and the ball toner to freshen up when skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you Flowers instead of Skunky. Well, Skunky, if you or your Squatch Buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely, and who doesn't, head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped! No, no it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped. The right tools for the job. So... So I went in a different direction. I, I kept it right here in uh, at home in Nightmarica land uh, for my story of the paranormal. And, and it's a story that is within ufology circles. It's one of the big ones, even though it's not necessarily the most famous story. So August 15th, 1950 was a mild and slightly windy Tuesday in Great Falls, Montana. Nick Mariana and his 19-year-old secretary, Virginia Raunig, were inspecting the Legion Baseball Stadium. And, well, this was because of Nick's job. So Nick's job was he was a general manager of the Great Falls Electrics. And this was, in turn, a minor baseball team, minor league baseball team that was one of the farm teams 
of the Brooklyn Dodgers. So connection to New York City where or into Brooklyn where I live. So there was a game that day, but that morning when they were inspecting the stadium, the park was empty. And that's when Nick caught this bright flash in the sky. He saw two objects flying at a speed that he said was up to 400 miles an hour. Two objects in the sky. They were silvery, they were rotating, and they were moving by so quickly. He he actually had the presence of mind to run to his car and, and hurriedly grab his 16mm camera. And he captured 16 seconds of footage, of color footage, no sound but 16 seconds of color footage of these objects. Now that 16 seconds ended up being a big deal. Short clip, but big deal. This is what is known as the Mariana UFO incident. So Nick showed the footage to some folks, as I think you know, you're know you likely to do. You capture really, something really strange on camera. You're gonna show it to some friends, some, to some colleagues. And it's worth noting that Nick was a man in the community. So this was not just some crackpot uh, showing some crazy footage of a, of a pie pan flying through the sky. So then the Great Falls Tribune actually picked it up, reported on this. And then the Air Force got involved. So U.S. Air Force Captain John P. Brendelson of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and uh, those of you out there that are UFO nerds will recognize Wright-Patterson. That was, that was, according to UFO lore, the supposed home of the Roswell crash footage so you know already this is kind of connected to big big elements of the ufo um ufo lore ufo stories so they they acquired this footage from nick and they explained the footage away as just reflections of two f-94 jets that had been flying in the area basically the sun reflecting off of the the metal fuselage of those jets however Mariana got the footage back from the Air Force, and he said 35 frames or about three seconds of footage was missing. Now, again, Mariana had shared this footage with other friends and whatnot, and he said that the footage that was missing showed the crafts spinning and uh, rotating and, and really showed off this disc, this disc shape that they had. The Air Force, in turn, said they only removed one frame, which they said was just accidentally damaged during handling. So let's go move ahead to 1952. So, okay, Nick captures this footage. Air Force gets involved. Air Force says, no big deal. It was just a reflection on the fuselage. 1952 comes along. The, the footage was reviewed again, this time by Captain Ruppelt, who was one of the leads on Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book was the third UFO study by the U.S. Air Force. Uh, the previous previous study was Project Grudge, and that's who initially acquired Mariana's footage. And um, Project Blue Book is also associated, famously associated with J. Allen Hynek, um, a, a giant in the, the UFO studies field. And also the, his cases were the focus of the highly fictionalized um, Project Blue Book show that ran for two seasons. Anyhow, uh, Ruppel just dismissed this jet explanation. He said, quote, the jets weren't anywhere close to where the UFOs had been. We studied each individual light and both appeared too, too steady to be reflections. We drew a blank on the Montana movie. 
it was an unknown. Okay, so 1952, they overturned this jet reflection explanation. But in 1953, the Air Force flips it again and then says it was the aircraft reflection. So we're going back and forth already on this. Okay, 1954, Robert M. L. Baker Jr., he was an aircraft engineer and scientist, so he came into the picture, and then he even later testified in front of Congress. This was in 1968 when he testified. And he said that this reflection was not an airplane uh, fuselage. This was not the sun reflecting off of the jets. Okay, so then we're going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, reflection, not a reflection. Reflection, not a reflection. Well, then 1966 comes along, and this is the Condon Report. Now, this is where things hit a snag because within the same study, study they have two different thoughts on it. On one hand, Dr. Uh, Roy Craig, who was a physicist, said there was inconsistencies in Mariana's story. He actually thought Mariana, he thought Nick was a fraud. And 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 uh, Dr. Craig actually discovered that the electrics were not even supposed to play at home that day, August 15th. They weren't even scheduled to play in the state. They were instead playing 500 miles away at Twin Falls, Idaho. So he thought... Uh, Mariana was a Craig and also or was a was a fraud. And he even said he talked to the um, to the secretary and she had this offhanded comment about, well, you know, that Nick, he's a he's a promoter. And Dr. Craig used that as um, sort of, uh, you know, uh, interesting quote to kind of uh, support his thought that Mariana was a fraud. But flip side was Dr. David Saunders, also on the Condon Report. Uh, he was a psychologist, and he found Nick's story convincing. Not only did he find his story convincing, he found it so convincing that he said that this was some of the most convincing um, evidence for UFOs, a most convincing story to to that led him to believe, possibly, in this phenomenon. So we go back and forth, and what's just crazy to me is as we record this episode, it's uh, May, mid-May in 2020, and we're coming up on the 70th anniversary of this case, of this footage being recorded. 70 years later, several official investigations, and there is still, there's still no definitive explanation to put this story to bed. It is still debated, I would even say uh, widely debated. Now, this area did become a hotspot for sightings, and uh, interestingly enough, in, a couple years ago, 2008, the baseball team, the Electrics, were renamed to be the Great Falls Voyagers, and that was to honor the Mariana UFO incident. And finally, I guess what I would say is this story is, is somewhat preserved in our own U.S. National Archives. Mariana's film resides in the U.S. National Archives. So 70 years later, several of official investigations, and this continues to be a tale that is um, debated and, and part of uh, part of Nightmerica, I would say, part of uh, this, this, this country of weird, this nation of weirdness. So... Yeah. Well, Nick sounds like our kind of guy to see something crazy happening and immediately go and grab his camera 
even if it was only 16 seconds, I mean, thank goodness he had that sound of mind to do it. Especially, you know, in 1950 when people weren't all carrying around a smartphone yeah. with a 4K camera in their pocket. Um, so Absolutely. Uh, that is, yeah, that is good, good timing. I mean, what if he had just looked at it and it's like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> And then it, that was that. Then it was just a story told at yeah. a bar instead of something that warranted multiple uh, Air Force investigations. That, and that's the thing that I just find so wild is how different experts and uh, go back and forth and, and arrive at different uh, kind of conclusions about this thing. So that's Absolutely. It's a cool one. And it all happened over uh, this uh, baseball stadium. So... Um, you know, that's, I guess that was the, uh, the sporting aliens, the aliens finding sport and kind of, uh, you know, uh, toying with us, us humans on the ground. Um, so with that said, we, uh, we talked a little bit about adding in a segment where we would each, uh, discuss like sort of the paranormal pop culture we were getting into this week. What, what are you into? What are you checking into this week? Yeah, so with the time on my hands for quarantine in between the super boringness of studying for HR certification, I'm ingesting an absurd amount of podcasts. Um, Not just, of course, our podcast, but taking in other people's, probably listening to like three hours of podcasts a day at least. And a new one that I've discovered and have absolutely fallen in love with is called Happy Hour Gets Weird. It's the perfect combination of like crime and funny. For example, I think this was two weeks ago. They did an episode on crimes that had been done by people in wigs. So the ladies are just so super funny and it's just a really nice way to kind of break up the monotony and maybe even sadness of this quarantine time and just be able to laugh. Uh, so that's mine. What about you? Well, I'm always seeking to uh, expand on my my paranormal knowledge, and I'm always reading and researching. And one of the things I like is, so we there are the different pockets of uh, a paranormal, sort of the big three that I think people think of is sort of cryptozoology, ufology, and then ghosts. And yet there's so much more. There, there's just a wide spectrum of weirdness out there. And within that that gray area between all these other paranormal uh this other paranormal phenomena are things like the jinn which we know in western cultures as genies and Mm -hmm. uh and and spoiler alert they are not like uh (laughs) aladdin's buddy uh and they are definitely not voiced by uh, a jovial robin williams type uh they can be tricky (laughs) tricky things uh but in addition to that puckwudgies and what are known as grinning men or uh, shadow people that in a lot of shadow peoples are shadow people are associated with ghosts and some might be, but also there's a whole other element to it and black eyed kids. Uh, a lot of people talk about black eyed kids, but uh, in David Weatherly's author, David Weatherly's strange intruders, um, he goes into a lot of phenomena with the black eyed kids and all this other stuff. And uh, David is the guy that really popularized this, this phenomena of the black eyed kids or black eyed beans. And I'm sure we'll get around to telling that story at some point, Mm -hmm. but these are sort of things that exist on the fringes of reality, uh, and apparently are not bound by certain natural laws. 
and not only that they seem to be moving about with their their own motivations and intent and uh, not always nice things so yeah uh, so i've been doing some research with strange intruders the book by david weatherly it's definitely creepy it's definitely a fun book and it's also has a, a lot of interesting accounts that i would recommend you know checking out if you want to continue your own uh, research into the paranormal sounds good so well i think that's the i think that's it we're coming to an end of another episode of uh, nightmerica absolutely let's call it a week if you like nightmerica please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmerica and consider leaving us a review on apple podcasts give us a follow on social media and share this with your friends and if you'd like to share your paranormal stories or even seek paranormal advice, which is for entertainment purposes only, email nightmericashow at gmail.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 